Part Two, Chapter Four of Mountains in the Mist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mountains in the Mist, by Frank W. Borham, Chapter Four, Etiquette. The old gardener at Versailles was in sad distress what pains he took with his flower-beds how patiently he mapped them all out in the evening and how deftly he executed his own designs in the daytime how he longed for the summer that he might feast his eyes upon the perfect patterns and the beautifully blending blossoms but that joy was never his for as soon as he had got his rare seed nicely sown his fragile plants fondly set and his delicate young cuttings tastefully arranged the courtiers from the palace trampled them all down and reduced the poor gardener to tears season after season the noblemen and great ladies in their strolls among the beautiful terraces and graceful parterres ruthlessly destroyed the cunning labor of the old man's skillful hands till at last he could endure it no longer he would appeal to the king so right into the august presence of the great louis the fourteenth the poor old gardener made his way and confided all his sorrows and disappointments to his royal master and the king was sorry for the old man and ordered little tablets etiquette to be neatly arranged along the sides of the flower-beds and a state order was issued commanding all his courtiers to walk carefully within the etiquette and so the old gardener not only protected the flowers that he loved from the pitiless feet of the high-born vandals but he enriched our vocabulary with a new and startlingly significant word the art of life consists in keeping carefully within the ways marked out by the etiquette from cannibalism to culture is a long way and the individual or the race that sets out on that pilgrimage forfeits more and more of freedom at every step the cannibal can do as he likes and have what he wants and go where he pleases he tramples without restraint on all of life's flower-beds but as he moves towards civilization he finds himself becoming subject to all sorts of rules and regulations thou shalt and thou shalt not speak out imperiously he must not do this he must not have that he must not touch here and he must not go there his path is marked out by the etiquette and the more refined and cultured he becomes the more those laws subdivide and multiply he must not only do this thing but he must do it in a certain way he must not only go to this place but he must go at a certain time and dressed in a certain fashion and stay for just so long cannibalism is freedom and wretchedness civilization is bondage and delight for the beauty of it is that the pleasures of king louis's lords and ladies were not all curtailed but were really very considerably increased by the introduction of etiquette i can easily imagine that for a month or two whilst they were chafing under the new restrictions 
and whilst as yet the gardener's precious bulbs were but slowly developing towards their coming glory the courtiers thought of the old man as a bore a nuisance and an enemy to their freedom why could they not tread wherever they liked but afterwards when their well-kept promenade was fringed and bordered by the most rare and beautiful and fragrant blossoms then they blessed the old man as a benefactor and laughed at their earlier folly it is a very ancient heresy ever since the soul of the first man revolted against the etiquette that marked off one tree in the midst of a garden the minds of men have rebelled against the royal legends thou shalt and thou shalt not we abhor as we saunter through the park being eternally commanded to keep off the grass we forget that it is only through the instrumentality of that obnoxious mandate that there is any grass left for us to keep off the verdant and velvety lawn that charms the eye and soothes the sense is the triumph of the etiquette that sounds like tyranny the truth is that i never enter into my best inheritance by putting my foot upon it i more often come into my own by keeping my foot carefully off it the world is too wisely arranged to play into the hands of the tramplers and the trespassers the etiquette that subtracts from my freedom multiplies my felicity otherwise the cannibal and the criminal would be the happiest men breathing things never work out that way the courtiers learned in time that it is not necessary to trample upon a thing in order to enjoy it we are most of us somewhat slow in making that discovery in the road mender michael fairless tells us how she came upon a beautiful island out in the river smothered with a riot of radiant flowers at the upper end of the field she says the river provides yet closer sanctuary for the daffodils held in its embracing arms like an island long and narrow some thirty feet by twelve a veritable untrod eldorado glorious in gold from end to end just a fringe of weeds by the water's edge and save for that all daffodils a great oak stands at the meadow's neck an oak with gnarled and wandering roots where one may rest for its bare of daffodils save for a group of three and a solitary one apart growing close to the old tree's side michael fairless sat down beside the lonely little daffodil and feasted her eyes on the island in the stream it was a sea of triumphant golden heads tossing blithely as the wind swept down to play with them at his pleasure and as she watched under the oak and gazed upon the cloth of gold on the island she exclaimed it is all mine to have and to hold without severing a single slender stem or harboring a thought of covetousness mine as the whole earth is mine to appropriate to myself without the burden and bane of worldly possession now here we have a very beautiful picture let us pause to reflect upon some of the questions that its beauty suggests why are there only four lonely little daffodils here by the gnarled oak on the river's bank and why is this island out in the stream a tossing sea of gold the answer is obvious the water round the island is like the tablets round the flower beds it is liquid etiquette 
and so far from impoverishing the strollers on the bank it greatly enriches them this girl sitting under the oak gazing on the golden glory of the island tells us that she felt not like a courtier only but like a queen no palace on the planet held a princess so conscious of her wondrous wealth as was she in that delicious hour it was just because she could not set foot upon her inheritance that it was so splendidly and delightfully her own but perhaps the best illustration would have been the case of richard jeffreys everybody who has read mr edward thomas's beautiful life of the young english naturalist knows how in his brave fight with a cruel disease and with grinding poverty jeffreys was comforted every day by the sight of the wild life around him and the sense of its complete and glorious possession it was all his and it was his just because he never tried to touch or tame it hear what he says every blade of grass was mine he cries exultingly as if i had myself planted it all the grasses were my pets i loved them all perhaps that was why i never had a pet never cultivated a flower never kept a caged bird but why keep pets when every wild hawk that passes over my head was mine i joyed in his swift careless flight in the throw of his pinions in his rush over the elms and miles of woodland what more beautiful than the sweep and curve of his going through the azure sky i see the lark chase his mate over the low stone wall of the ploughed field to battle with his high-crested rival to balance himself on his trembling wings outspread a few yards above the earth and utter that sweet little loving kiss as it were of a song oh happy happy days so beautiful to watch and all mine it was just because the poor frail young naturalist kept his feet off the flower beds never caged a bird or potted a plant that all the birds of the forest and the flowers of the field seemed so thoroughly and gloriously his own life is all a matter of etiquette louis the fourteenth never supposed for a moment that the dainty little tablets would prevent the courtiers from trampling on the bulbs if they were determined to do so the tablets indicate the king's pleasure that is all indeed that is all that etiquette ever does it is indicative not imperative god does not protect his flower-beds with impregnable fortresses he makes the way perfectly clear to a man but if the man has set his heart on outraging the etiquette there is nothing to prevent him god in his mercy hedges our way about with his commandments his exhortations his revelations but it is the easiest thing in the world to break through a hedge bunyan's pilgrims made that discovery the way was rough and their feet tender so the souls of the pilgrims were much discouraged because of the way so they went to the fence and saw soft grass in the meadow on the other side come good hopeful said christian and let us go over but how replied the suspicious hopeful how if this should lead us out of the way that's not like said christian so hopeful being persuaded by his fellow went after him over the stile but the story does not end there on the soft green grass beyond the fence 
the pilgrims were captured by giant despair and flung into the dark dungeons of Doubting Castle. And half a dozen pages further on, Bunyan tells how, sadder and wiser men, after their escape, they climbed back over the fence and to the road they had formerly left. And when they were gone over the stile, they began to contrive what they should do to prevent other pilgrims from falling into the hands of giant despair. So they erected a pillar, and engraved upon the side thereof this sentence, over this stile is the way to Doubting Castle, which is kept by giant despair, who despiseth the king of the celestial country, and seeketh to destroy his holy pilgrims. Many, therefore, that followed after, read what was written, and escaped the danger. It is perfectly plain to me that Bunyan's fence, and Michael Fairless's river around the island, and King Louis the Fourteenth's tablets round the flower-bed, and even the pillar erect by the pilgrims beside the treacherous stile, are all different ways of saying the same thing. It is all a matter of etiquette. Now this illustration from Pilgrim's Progress reminds me. Whilst I was perfectly right in saying just now that God does not protect his flower-beds with frowning forts, I was perfectly wrong if I gave the impression that trespassers will not be prosecuted. The pilgrims quickly discovered that severe penalties lurked in wait for them on the other side of the fence. There is a quaint old text that expresses the truth of this matter, about as nicely as it can be stated. Whoso breaketh a hedge, said a very wise man once, perhaps not without a wince, as memory reminded him of his own hedge-breaking, Whoso breaketh a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. I confess that I never quite understood what this very wise man meant by the serpent, until I sat at the feet of a very wise woman, and the very wise woman made plain what the very wise man had left obscure. Would you judge of the lawfulness or unlawfulness of pleasure? good susanna wesley asked of her son john then she added take this rule whatever weakens your reason impairs the tenderness of your conscience obscures your sense of god or takes off the relish of spiritual things that is sin to you sin is of course the outraging of etiquette and here according to susanna wesley one of the world's very greatest and very wisest and very saintliest women. Here are the bites of the serpents. The weakening of the reason, the impaired tenderness of the conscience, the obscured sense of God, and the lost relish for the spiritual. And when this wise and holy woman, the mother of the Wesleys, talked in this strain, she frightens me. She describes these symptoms with such skill that I feel the horrid virus in my own veins. I have outraged the divine etiquette myself. I have trampled on the king's flower-beds. I have clambered over the stile like Bunyan's pilgrims. I have broken through the hedge, and the snake has bitten me. I am glad that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and i am thankful that the saviour left us in no doubt as to the meaning of that weird and wondrous symbol all the etiquette of the law is designed to keep a man from trampling on the flowers and all the etiquette of the gospel 
marks out for contrite trespassers the way that leads up to the cross. End of part two, chapter four.